You are listening to the Life Community Church Sermon Podcast. Life Community is a church for the city, making much about the name of Christ. This podcast is available through all major platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. If you enjoy and are challenged by our teaching, we invite you to subscribe to the channel on whatever platform you choose as we seek to anchor ourselves to the unchanging truth of God's Word together. Thanks for listening. chapter 6, and we're going to start in verse 24 all the way to verse 36. So if you have your Bibles, you're welcome to turn there. You can follow on the screen. You can also use your technology. Luke 6, verse 24. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. And for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. Love your enemies, do good, and lend expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High God, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. Would you pray with me? Uh, Lord, we are told that Uh, There are seasons for Thanksgiving, but Lord, we know that there's never not a season of thankfulness to you, Lord. So Lord, we come before you thankful for your word, thankful for what it does in our hearts. Will you use it, Lord, to increase our joy? Will you use it, Lord, to convict us of where we fall short of it? Forgive us, Lord, in the ways that we dishonor you and love you sometimes. Lord, we just love you. We praise you. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. So this summer, I set uh, myself on the task of changing my oil. And as I was changing my oil, uh, it was revealed to me that Volkswagen decided to bury the oil filter under every single part of the engine, right? They like today, in our car manufacturing worlds, to make it so it's impossible to change your oil, uh, which drives people to the dealership except for me, right? That's a challenge. Game on, friend, all right? And so here comes old Sirball MacGyver 
with my contraptions of ratchet adapters and breaker bars and fittings, and I'm going to defeat this beast and change my Because that's what normal people do. Normal people who don't value their time at all, right? And so, look, defeated it. Easy. Got it. Took a little bit. Got it. Changed my oil. Now, here's the thing, all right? I got it off, uh, but I couldn't get it back on. See, what I did was I stripped the plastic housing. I tried to make this MacGyver tool, and I stripped it. And so that just proves another challenge for me, right? Now I got to put it back on, which I did. I made a creation, got it back on, ended up having to order another part because I broke the original. All right, now, I reverted in that moment to making up things, to creating in the absence of the right tool and understanding. But wouldn't it have been easier, much easier, to have the right tool and the right understanding? That job would have been easy, repeatable, and far less destructive than what I did. And I say this because I think it would be said of us sometimes, that maybe more than we should in our lives, rather than seeking the right tool and the right understanding, we sort of make it up. <laughs> we sort of create our own way we don't use the right tools. And as a believer, when I talk about having the right tools in our toolbox, what I'm talking about is having the right definitions and foundations that we can depend on, rely on every time so that when we read the truth of Jesus, we know what he's saying. We know what he means. And we're not simply just making it up. And so what I want to do today is spend some time putting some tools in our toolbox to understand the teaching of Jesus here. When he says, love your enemies. Because if we truly understand what Jesus is saying, if we can, and if we do this, not only does it have the power to change our heart, but it has the power to change our family, our community, and it goes from there. Loving our enemies is basic to the Christian faith and as powerful as anything this world could ever see. And so I want to look at three concepts today. I want to look at kingdom, I want to look at the term justice, and I want to look at the term love. I want to build right understandings, and then we're going to put them together and understand what Jesus is saying here. So at the beginning of this text, we see this teaching that is called the Beatitudes, and that should be familiar to you. Uh, the Beatitudes are these sayings of Jesus that say, blessed are the poor, blessed are the, those who are hungry, those who weep, those who are meek. We spent 10 weeks in the Beatitudes right at the beginning of this year. These are a profound truth that Jesus conveys to us that convey the blessed life of those in his kingdom. When he says the word blessed, it says happy, fortunate. This is the happy, fortunate life of those who love God. And these sayings are the characteristics and the expectations that Jesus has for those who follow after him in this world. And so he gives this text about the kingdom. And what we know about the kingdom is that Christ comes, Christ descends in the world, God himself descends in the world to establish a new relationship between God and man. God makes peace with man through Christ. All of God's judgment and all of his just wrath on sin are transferred onto Christ. Christ has made peace with God for mankind. He's bridged the gap from humanity to God to know him, love him, and enjoy him forever. It's a kingdom that's built on grace, forgiveness and mercy. It's a kingdom that then requires our meekness. It requires 
meekness from humanity to see the very ends of themselves, to be honest and open with what's true about us, that we're not self-made, that we're not self-determined, that we're not independent, that we're not capable. We need to be open and honest about what's true of us, that we're desperate and we're broken and we're without hope, that we're being tossed to and fro in a world by its passions, its products, its people, as if we are a slave. Meekness is the requirement for those who enter into the kingdom of God. Paul writes this in the book of Romans about the truth of what it means to be in the kingdom of God. In Romans 5, he says, For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Paul says this, Hey, you were enemies at one time. You were far away from God. You chose to live for yourself and honor yourself, and in that you dishonored God. It was sin, and you were separated from God. You were alienated from God. But only in Christ Jesus can we rejoice that in our surrender, by our faith and our trust in Christ, he brings into us his spirit that bends towards making us more like him that then through his power works through us to remake the world around us look more like our true home that we know as the garden we call Eden, when man walked with God without guilt and shame. And so not only is God Christ our perfect and just redeemer, he is also our king. And we, lot by faith, we live in his kingdom under his kingship. Faith is about choosing to live in that kingdom under his kingship, because we once weren't, but now we are. Not a future kingdom that we anticipate when Jesus returns, but in this very moment, we are surrendering to Christ, our defender, our redeemer, our protector, believing that in this very moment, that Christ's kingdom is active and present and working, and that he is a king that is all sufficient for our needs in life that he is sufficient for all of our needs and to live and flourish in this life. If we remember Jesus in the Gospels says to his disciples, he says, hey, look at the birds of the air. They neither reap nor sow nor store into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. How much more valuable are you than they? All that we need in life to flourish and live is found in Christ and that has grown in our life as we grow in our affection for Jesus. I love what St. Augustine says. He was an early Christian in the 380s. And he says this, there can only be two basic loves. The love of God unto the forgetfulness of self. Or the love of self unto the forgetfulness and denial of God. If we think that all there is to life is this world, what would cause us to love our enemies? I mean, this life is hard enough by itself without enemies. Why would we choose to walk in something so hard? And if Jesus didn't come to the earth, and if we don't remember that he came to the earth to become like us in every way, to redeem us in every possible way, what example would we have then to live by to know what it means to love our enemies? And if we don't remember 
that the kingdom came to make me an enemy into God's friend, that I was once far away from God, and now through his blood I am brought near. What would motivate me to do something so profound, extraordinary, that cost me so much as to love my neighbors or to love my enemies? And the answer is you wouldn't. You couldn't. Not without those understandings. Now let's talk about justice because every one of us in here desire to live in a just and right society. Every one of us in here wants to believe that if somebody harms us, that they will be held accountable. And that desire for justice flows from our very creator who is perfect in justice. Moses, a patriarch of our faith, is talking to the whole assembly of Israel days before his death. And he's imparting in them words of wisdom for them to live by in the life ahead without him. And in Deuteronomy 32, verse 4, Moses says this about God. He says, he is the rock. His works are perfect. And all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is he. We all were born and made in the image and likeness of God. And because of that, what flows in our veins, our very DNA, is a desire for justice. And so when Jesus says these words, to love your enemies and do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you and pray for those who abuse you, it shocks us. That's not justice, we say. They're getting away with it. Like nobody's being held accountable to that. And we throw our hands up and we say, no, I can't live that way. Or we change it to our own interpretations so we can. But is this what Jesus is asking of us? Is he asking us to let everyone walk over us again and again and again and again and be okay with it? And I'm telling you, it can't be that. It cannot be that. Because in the very lines just before the teaching of love our enemies, we see Jesus talk about four woes. Woe to you who are rich. Woe to you who are full now. Woe to you who laugh now. Woe to you when all people speak well to you. Jesus is talking to the crowd that day about the false prophets. And he's warning us. This is the way that people treated the false prophets who told them everything that they wanted. They just gave them everything that they wanted. And what he is saying is danger, 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 danger. If you want to live the kind of life that centers around you, that makes all of this world about you, about you acquiring whatever you want to get and trying to find favor in the eyes of every person, you may get what you want on this earth, but you have forfeited what you need because what you need is redemption. You don't need another thing. You don't need another person. You need redemption. Jesus is talking about justice here. This is justice. He's saying there will be justice. Woe to you and how we live. And he's saying that this is not the life for my followers. This is not the life for those who call on my name because in the very next line he says this, but I say, if you can hear it, love your enemies. That's starkly different. We have justice, and then we have Jesus saying, but I say, love your enemies. What is Jesus doing here? He's doing what the very God of the universe always does. He is perfectly balanced. He's perfectly balanced in his justice and his kindness and love. 
It's a balance that only God can walk perfectly in, but one that he commands us to walk in as well. Micah, this faithful prophet in our Old Testament, declares to us this wonderful passage that we, we say many times or have heard many times. It answers a wonderful question. He has told you, O oh man, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you? That, don't we all want to know that? What does God require of me? And it's this, but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. What does God require of us? Justice. To be a voice for the voiceless. To stand up for those who don't have clout in this culture. To actively oppress those who are bringing injustice into people's lives. But how do we do it? And love kindness. Justice can never be disconnected from kindness. And kindness can never be disconnected from justice. If we are just, we are kind. And if we are kind, we are just. That is the mantra of God's people. And these are very balanced external postures. But do you sense the balance of the internal and the external? Love, kindness, do justice, but walk humbly with your God. There's this beautiful balance that Jesus conveys to us, a humility with God that is required of his believers. Now, look, I'm no military tactician, nor am I an MMA consultant, or do I even watch MMA, sorry. But I, I would have to say, if you were going to try to hurt somebody and kill them, you wouldn't aim for their cheek, right? It, this isn't saying, Jesus isn't saying, if somebody stabs you in the side, then give them the other side. Why the cheek? Well, have you ever watched a, a middle medieval movie where two people come together and they're dramatically, one takes off his glove and slaps them across the face? Have you ever seen a scene like that? What is that person doing? That person is challenging the other's honor. He's challenging their honor. This passage it's not about somebody coming to you with a sword threatening to kill you. It's not about self-defense. This is about mistreatment. This is about being offended. This is about honor. This is about insult. And I think that's important for us to know that this isn't Jesus saying, those who follow me will give up their right to justice, will give up their right to truth, that they will let their enemies walk over and over and over them and they'll be okay. In fact, they'll love it. That is not what Jesus is saying here. He's not calling us to just accept other people's sin without justice and let evil run rampant in the world. No, he's saying that those people who follow me will have my spirit. And they will people be a people that love the truth, that do justice. But they will do it without an ego. They will do it without an ounce of self-importance and pride. They will not be vengeful or spiteful in their hearts. This is the kind of justice that God desires. This is what we see in the person of Christ. This is what we see in the Apostle Paul. This is the idea of justice that God puts forward for us in this passage. A balanced justice that does it but loves kindness. Balanced in the external, in the internal. And the last building block is that of love. Now, I'm sure that you've heard people in the past say, uh, our English word for love is just woefully short of bringing justice to the idea of love that Jesus gives us in Scripture. To give you a clue, like in Arabic, there are 11 different words for the idea of love, describing different stages and different types of affections in different ways. We have 
We have one word in our English language for love. And that love conveys everything from my love of pets and my love of cabinets and countertops to my love of my wife. It is not helpful at all in understanding what Jesus is getting to here. Love for us is about emotion. It's about how we feel. That's how we describe it in our culture. But that's not what Jesus is trying to get to here in Luke 6. In Greek, which is the original language of our New Testament, there are four words for love, describing different types of love. And the word that is used in this particular passage in Luke 6 that's translated into our word love is agape. It's agape love. Now, agape probably arrives nearer our word charity than it does the English word love. Agape love isn't born out of uh, emotions or feelings or familiarity or uh, attraction, but it is from our will. It's, it's a choice that we have. Agape love requires faithfulness and commitment and sacrifice without ever expecting anything in return. It's deliberately striving for another's highest good that is demonstrated in action, not through emotion. And so agape love is completely disconnected from the individual. It looks past the self. It's, it's not even considerate of the self. Its virtue is tied in our creator. It's tied into our creator, into our good God and his creation. Agape love recognizes this, that we are all created from the very same creator. Created from the very same creator, and simply by that knowledge, you have an unchangeable, non-negotiable worth and value that is intrinsic and unchangeable in your life. Agape love looks past the individual and sees the worth that God has for them. This is called the, the doctrine of Imago Dei in the Christian world, that all creation bears the likeness and image of God, which means that all of God's people, all of us are faith, of faith, are actually obligated. We are required to show honor and dignity to every single person that exists in this world, whatever their worldview is, whatever behavior they have, simply because we believe that God is their creator. That is agape love. It's an unconditional love in this. It's there is no condition in which we are not obligated by it. Agape love lives in the realm where we see past ourselves and past the other person, and we want for them the very thing that God wants for them. It's to promote their highest good, not because they deserve it, but ultimately because God deserves it. God deserves our treatment. He deserves the, our worship of him by how we treat his creation. And to act otherwise would be an act of rebellion against a holy God himself. And so look, the secular culture can never know the depths of an agape love because they don't see God as creator. And if God is not creator, then he's not ultimate. And if God is not ultimate and he's not creator, then there's nothing that exists outside of our own personal and comparative merit and standing in this world. Without agape love, it is up to us to establish our own worth and our, generate our own value. And there's no way without agape love that we could ever love our enemies. It is the only form of love that truly can forgive and love enemies because it's the only kind of love that can look past them and see God's worth in them. And so let's take these tools, kingdom, justice, love, and let's bring them together to see what Jesus is saying here. 
And so I want to say this. You don't have to have faith to know love and to be loved. You don't have to believe in Jesus to want justice and love justice. And I would say to even some extent, you don't need to believe in Jesus to experience a type of kingdom on this earth where you give yourself away to something greater. You don't need to believe it. And this is why Jesus says, hey, if you love and do good for only those who love and do good to you, what more are you doing than sinners? God is calling us to something more. Here's what the world can never have. All of those postures can be experienced outside of Christ in shades and variation, but they can never exist together without him. They can never live in harmony with one another without him because Christ is the line that runs through kingdom and justice and love. He is the one that builds and binds them together. Why? Because he is all of them. He is the kingdom. John the Baptist, as Jesus draws near, says, repent, turn from yourself, turn to God, for the kingdom of God is near. Jesus is described in our scripture as the just and our justifier. Our scriptures declare to us that God is love. And so what that means is it is entirely impossible outside of Christ for us to do this. It is a supernatural thing for you to forgive your enemy. You don't have the strength to walk in this radical ways. And what Jesus' truth and teaching here teaches us is something completely different than what our human heart teaches us. When somebody mistreats you in this world, you have two natural responses. Tim Keller talks about the natural responses of the heart, and I'm going to lean into that for a little bit here. We have two responses. One is to be passive. One is to be vindictive. Some of you, when people mistreat you, you just get really passive, and you let them hit you on the cheek over and over and over again. You let them take from you, offend you, harm you, hurt you, insult you over and over again, and you never turn the other cheek. Why? Because you fear disorder and chaos more more than you fear a semi-orderly relationship with a known mistreater. And so you're passive because you think it's the most loving thing you do. You don't want to break the relationship. And then others of you, if somebody hits you on the cheek, you get vindictive. You lash out in anger. You hit them back. You don't turn the other cheek, and you're for sure not going to let them hit you on the cheek again. And then some of us, we live in sort of combination of these two, in different stages, where we're passive for a long time. People take from us and take from us and offend us and harm us. And we just stay quiet about it. I'm going to stay quiet about it and stay quiet about it. And then all of a sudden, somebody does something slightly and what happens? You lose it. You go from passive to vindictive right in that moment. And yet others of you, you can do this at the same time. And that is dangerous. You can be stoic and calm on the outside, but burning with rage and anger underneath. It's pathological. There's danger to that. There's danger to that, friend. What Jesus is saying is that none of these types of reactions, none of these types of responses are warranted from his people. They're not warranted of his followers. What Jesus is contending for his people is this, is that we would be strong and courageous on the outside, that we would love truth and we would do justice. But because of our redemption and living in the kingdom, we're at peace on the inside. 
We are warm and forgiving on the inside. We're strong and courageous on the outside, and we're at peace in the inside because we walk humbly with our God. And that only comes through our redemption, that God turned me from an enemy into his friend. I am through the redemption of God now a part of his kingdom, adopted by a love that served me and saw me for more than I was, who saw past even the worst of me in my sin. I'm served by a justice that was poured out not on me, but on God on the cross. And then it was extended to me by what? Kindness and grace. The scripture says it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. It's the kindness of God that makes us turn from ourselves and turn towards God. We live in the kingdom, and Jesus invites his followers into that same kingdom logic, the same kingdom logic that that says that the only way that we defeat our enemies is by making them our friends. And that is what our Lord means. And he has asked us to live our lives in extension, to extend ourselves to others in the same way that he extended himself to me while I was yet a sinner, an enemy of God. And what Jesus means when he says, turn the other cheek, isn't that we would just simply be doormats, but that when people mistreat us, that we wouldn't be surprised. When people offend us, that we wouldn't be surprised, and that we would speak truth and love, and that we would do justice through kindness, but we are ever ready and willing to turn the other cheek, to give them a fresh start. We are always ready to forgive and be gracious. Can I give you an example? Let's say that you're in a restaurant, and you're sitting next to a woman, and you overhear a conversation, not creepily, you're not creeping on her. You just hear a conversation. And you hear her say this, hey, Dad, look, I love you. Uh, we've talked about this. I'm not going to let you speak to me that way. And I'm not going to let you speak about Mom that way. I want a relationship with you. And I love you. But I'm going to hang up on you right now in this moment, right in the middle of this sentence, because I'm not going to let you do that to me. Okay? I love you. I'm going to call you back later. What did she do? She turned the other cheek. She spoke truth and love. She pursued justice without an ounce of self-importance, without an ounce of pride. What she said is, Dad, I love you. I want a relationship with you. And I'm here when you're ready to change. And when you do, you will find all the grace and forgiveness to have a fresh start. This is what the Lord means to us. This is what loving our enemies look like. You know, many of us have been mistreated in our past, and we have played that mistreatment over and over and over and over in our heads, and we are waiting for the offender in our lives to finally get hers or hers. We are waiting for the person who harmed us to be exposed and to even be treated worse than they treated us. But actually, friend, what has happened to you is that you have been the one that has been controlled. You are defeated. You haven't won anything. You are defeated because you continue to be the one who's a slave to the injustice. Can't let it go. But God's kingdom says this, you can, and you should. 
because we are overwhelmed with a love that even while we are at our worst, God extended himself to us and justified us and saved us and cares for us, even at my worst. That is the ember, friend, of the fire that begins in loving our enemies, us remembering always that God made me an enemy into his friend. Not because I deserved it, but out of sure kindness and grace and love. We think that the way that we deal with relationships where we're mistreated is to avoid them, to be passive to them, to never deal with them again, ah, happy on the outside, but I'm burning with anger on the inside. Many of us somehow, we get vindictive, right? We hurt people and we shut them off in our lives. I don't want to be a part of this anymore. And we say, we, we want justice. We want justice, don't we? But friends, you don't want justice. You need kindness from God. You can't handle his justice. You need kindness. Therefore, friend, it is our joy to extend ourselves to others, loving the truth, doing justice, not because we need anything from them, but simply because in our King, we have everything that we need. And we can love, and we can bless, and we can pray, because in him is all of our worth and all of our value. And in him is a love that reached out to me to redeem me even at my worst. You know, a lot of you are gonna head into a season here where you're gonna be with family. And there's going to be relationships there that we need to apply this to. And your greatest fear is addressing that issue. And I heard somebody talk about uh, ski slopes in the, the Rockies and these beautiful mountains. And he was talking about if you needed to get to those slopes, if you wanted to get to those slopes, you had to go through a deep, dark tunnel to get to the high moments of those slopes. This culture teaches us that we need to keep people at a distance, that we need to ghost people and separate people. But the most formative, joyful relationships in our life come when we put the time to go through the deepest, darkest hurts from one another, expose them, bring them to the light, and love each other because of it, and through it. So maybe as we pray today, and as you leave today, you need to have that one person in your head, that one person that you know you're going to see, and you need to turn the other cheek. You need to let it go. And you need to be honest and speak truth and do justice, but only through kindness. Would you pray with me? Lord, your goodness to us is far beyond our capability of understanding. That we get to live in your kingdom, under your kingship, 
where our reward is given to us by faith, that we no longer have to strive to prove ourselves, to earn it, that our value, our worth is found in you, and all we have to do in this life is lose ourselves. Blessed are the poor. That life is becoming, uh, is about losing ourselves in loving you more. Lord, that you would do that for us. It's beyond us. And so Lord, we just confess today that we don't have it within our capabilities to love our enemies like this. But Lord, we know that you do. And Lord, will you make it the conviction of our hearts to walk in this wisdom, to reflect you in our relationships and seek you when we don't. We love you, Jesus, and we pray this in your beautiful, precious name. Amen.